0: We are looking at the confession of faith, and I, I was really excited when Brandon uh, gave me the opportunity to preach a couple weeks ago. He's like, "I do you want to preach? And I was like, yes, I'd love to. That'd be great. What are we doing? You know, we're doing confession of faith. I said, what do I have? He said, chapter two and three. Um, what is God and what does God do in one sermon? I'm like, oh my goodness, how do you do that? Um, you know, I figured that you, 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 uh, you, you get Ray to do something like who is God, the, the, the climax of the confession type thing. I would do something like what does a Christian believe about, I don't know, you know, using um, hair coloring or something, you know, like, um, but God is faithful and I'm excited to be up here. So in, in light of that, uh, let's pray together. Our gracious Heavenly Father, we bow our heads because our desire is to humble our hearts before you and to stand in awe of a holy and mighty and great God. And it is possible if you, Holy Spirit, would be pleased to enter this place and in our hearts convict us of our sin and lift us, lift our eyes upward that we may see wonderful, glorious things in your glorious gospel. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So, no one here, I think, would deny that we are, were created to experience, with just a desire to experience glory. It's like we were hardwired for it. Uh, it's why, um, you know, we stare at beauty. We have a desire to be filled with awe. We, we want to celebrate great things. That's why we love to go to art museums and um, you know, if you lo- watch some of the bowl games, why we, we want to stand up and cheer the overtime win of our favorite football team or linger at the beach for a sunset. Even young children get this. You know, it's, it's hardwired in us. I don't know if some of your children or grandchildren watch the, one of the most popular YouTube shows out there right now is a show called Dude Perfect. Anybody heard of it? Um, it's these five guys. All they do is they do these trick shots and these really neat things but it wouldn't be half the show that it is without what they're famous for is like when they hit a really great trick shot they're successful they just celebrate they go crazy and high five and they say let's go and you're just almost caught up into it you want to experience the success and celebration with them it's one reason uh, a a famous youtuber named Simon Wilson um, he, he traveled five continents in seven days to see all the seven wonders of the world in seven days. Isn't that amazing? He, he, he went to uh, behold the Colosseum in Italy, the pyramids in Egypt, the city of Petra formed in 800 BC there in Jordan, the Taj Mahal in India, the Great Wall of China in China. <laughs> The, the Mayan city in Mexico and then the Christ statue there in Brazil. Wonders to behold. People travel from all around the world to see those. Why do we have this in us? The answer is because we have an infinitely glorious God who created us to know him. As Augustine put it, a famous quote that you know, we, we have this God-shaped god shaped God-sized, vacuumed in us that can only be filled with something as great and as big as a big God. Theologian John Piper, uh, who I respect and has impacted my life in one of his books I read years ago, said this. He said, people are starving for the greatness of God. People are starving for the greatness of God. But most of the world would not give this diagnosis of their troubled lives. The majesty of God is an unknown cure. And isn't that true? And in the midst of having such a glorious, great God, the world works so hard around us to get us to fix our attention on small things. There's endless entertainment options to grab our attention, endless streaming movies and, and, and shows, endless scrolling of social media there's probably soon to be a, a metaverse where everyone just goes home and puts on a virtual reality set and enters into their own little world by themselves. People are starving for greatness and yet isn't it true people settle for so little and many of the, the issues in our troubled lives come from a lack uh, of seeing a majestic, the majesty of God, of beholding the majesty of God let me make it personal. You and I, no doubt here, we, we have this in us. We are starving for greatness, and we live our lives in the midst of the mundane. You know, we, we, um, we wake up in the morning, we do breakfast, we drive our minivans to take the kids to school every day, we, we, um, we go to work, we play the golf, and you know, once or twice in retirement per week, we, um, we do these things, but we're still starving for greatness. And It's true that some of our troubled lives come from the lack of bringing that majesty, the greatness of God into our mundane. And so the goal of our time this morning is just simply that, that we really this morning just take a moment to gaze, to gaze upward together and get a taste of who God is and what God does. Who God is and what he does. So let's look first at who God is. Who God is. There's lots of ways to come at this, but we're going to categorize it in three categories. One is the bigness of God, the self-sufficiency of God, and then lastly the character of God. So, let's look first at the bigness of God. The confession says a whole lot. We encourage you to read it, but we're going to quote a little bit of it and look at some scriptures. It starts off by saying there is but only but there's but there's but one only living and true God, who's infinite in being and perfection, a most pure spirit, immutable immense, eternal, incomprehensible, and almighty. In other words, it's, it's hard to find words to just describe how big God is. Scriptures say things like this. "O oh Lord, my God, you are very great. You are clothed with splendor and majesty in Psalm 104. Psalm 145 says, great is the Lord, greatly to be praised, and his greatness is unsearchable. Psalm 147 says, great is the Lord and abundant in power, his understanding is beyond measure. We wrestle with the fact we just can't get words to describe how big God is. We can't explain, in other words, how someone is eternal, existing before there was time. How one day can be like a thousand years to God, and a thousand years be like one day. How do you even get your hands around that? Or when it says that God is infinite, when everything in our lives is definable and has limits, He's simply incomprehensible. Can't get our minds around it. It's it's why in 1 Kings 8, Solomon, when he's building the temple where God was supposed to come and dwell with his people, he says this, but will God indeed dwell on earth? Behold, the heaven and the highest heaven can't contain you. How much less this house that I built. He's basically saying something like this, grab a jar, go home today, grab a jar out out of the pantry or whatever and, and, and get your boat, go out to Crystal River, go out into the middle of the ocean and try to scoop up the ocean in that jar. And then you start to be able to wrestle a little bit with the problem of how, trying to get our minds around how big God is. It's why in Scripture you have, you have people writing letters, like Paul's writing letters, and then you just have outbursts of praise because it's like he can't contain himself. Like in 1 Timothy 1, he says, To the king of king, king, of ages, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honor and glory forever and ever. And then later in 1 Timothy 6, He who is the blessed and only sovereign, the king of kings and lord of lords, who alone has immortality, who dwells in inapproachable light, whom no one has ever seen or can see, just to him be honor and eternal dominion. We stare at oceans because behind it, there is a great God who holds it in the palm of his hand. We stare at the stars because behind those stars we see at night is a God who's counted and numbered them by name. We we enjoy a good chocolate milkshake at Wawa because behind it is the God who created the the cow and the cocoa beans or whatever. (laughs) Everything we taste is, is, we are starving for greatness because the God who created all those things is so big and so great. It's why we do things like spend 25 years, 25 to 30 years and $10 billion creating a telescope. That will, that, will, that will last about five to 10 years in space. I'm sure you've heard of the latest telescope we just put up a few days ago on Christmas Day, the John or James Webb Telescope. Um, I think it reached its destination maybe, 800,000 or so miles from here, or a million miles from Earth in a couple of days. It's pretty amazing. Um, in a few months, it'll start sending us pictures of what the universe looked like 100 to 250 million years ago. Isn't that amazing? Their hope is that they'll be able to, what scientists are saying, they want to see the first light that came into the universe, the first galaxies that formed, the, maybe even the birth of the original stars. Why do we put all that effort, thousands of people working with $10 billion, it's because we have a God-shaped vacuum inside of us, a God-shaped thirst to taste something bigger than ourselves for a big God. So that's the bigness of God. Let's look at the self-sufficiency of God. Now I know that this word self-sufficiency might be an unfamiliar term to use for God, but it's language that the confession uses in the Bible. It, it says things like, God is most free, most absolute. He works all things according to the counsel of his own immutable and most righteous will for his own glory. Do you remember when Moses, uh, God comes to Moses in the desert and um, he, he says, you're going to go deliver my people. And Moses says, okay, so what if they ask me, who sent, you, who sent me? Moses may have asked that because, you know, he grew up in Egypt, and they have, the, they have all these gods, and they all have names. You have the Ra, the God of light and, um, and sun. You have Isis, the God of medicine and peace. You have Get, the God of the earth. And Moses is like, okay, who are you that's sending me? And do you remember how God responds to that? He simply says, What? I am. I am who I am. Tell them that I am sent you. In other words, he's saying, You you can't label me. I am the God who created all people and all things, I am behind all things, I am the source of all things. Tell them I am sent you. Romans 11 says this. says, from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be glory forever. Acts 17, when Paul's preaching, he says, the God who made the world and everything in it, being Lord of heaven and earth, he's not served by human hands as though he needed anything. Since he himself, he's the giver. He's the giver to all mankind, life and breath and everything. And the confession says, God has... All life, glory, goodness, blessedness, happiness in and of himself. He's the source. I I went to, uh, took my kids um, a few uh, months ago to a campground called um, Chazawitska. Yes? Oh, man, I practiced that. It came out perfect. Yes. Success. And we were, you know, they have these streams there. They have, they have some, um, you know, they have the, the natural springs that flow up. And we, we took a kayak out with my kids and, and we're, we're, we found this inlet somebody told us about and we're traveling up it and you can feel the current coming against you. And it's two or three feet of water and there's, there's just lots of water coming against us. We're paddling up it and we come to a dead end. There's nothing else coming into this, this dead end. And, and we travel around, we look for the spring, and sure enough, we, we roll, we paddle over this huge hole, dark hole that we look down, and the water's obviously bubbling up. My kids ask, where in the world does all this water come from? And i not wanting to confuse them, give them, you know, try to dumb down a scientific answer in their language. I, I simply say, I have no idea. <laughs> but I do know this. Um, isn't it amazing that thousands of gallons of water um, per hour probably um, come out of this one source and, 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 and provide a whole stream for us to, to float on? And God simply says, he says, look, I, I am, I am the fountainhead and source of all things. God doesn't need anything or anyone else to be who he is. He's completely self-sufficient. He's like the sun. We're like the moon, right? I mean, the sun produces 27 million degrees of heat all inside of itself. The average light bulb has about 800 um, lumens of light. The the, uh, sun produces 127,000 lumens of light per square meter all the way at the Earth's orbit, all within itself. We're, we're like 97 million miles away from the sun and we can't even, we can't even look at it without our eyes going blind. It produce, it's all from it, within itself. The moon, on the other hand, it, it's, it's dry and cold and dusty. It doesn't produce anything from itself. It, it, it only, its beauty comes from reflecting glory. And have you ever thought about how the, our worship of God it, it, doesn't, it doesn't add to his glory like he needs more of it than he already had. Any more than the moon can add glory to the sun, he was completely full, full of glory before he created us. And likewise, you can never steal or take away the glory of God by failing to worship him. Any more than, as C.S. Lewis famously once said, than a, a lunatic can take away the, the can. can 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 make the sun go dark by scribbling the words darkness on the the walls of his cell. A.W. Pink, a famous author and theologian, famously said, he said, God sustains all, but he himself is independent of all. He gives to all, but is enriched by none. It's quite difficult for us to imagine God a million years before anything was created, even though time wasn't created, but imagine millions and millions of years ago. And God is completely content. A million years goes by, he's, he's happy, he's full. He's not lacking anything. You got the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit equal in power and glory and substance, and they're completely enjoying one another. They're not lonely, they're not bored, They're self-sufficient. And so what are some applications from that? You know, we live in a time that we're just, I feel like we're constantly barraged with things. they are desperately trying to um, have us think so highly of ourselves, so highly of ourselves. Uh, So much of what we read is dedicated to building up our self-esteem, our ego, protect our ego, Build up a big view of you, and I, I'll admit, I stand before you as a pastor who, who um, I, this comes in my mind all the time, and I, and I hate it, even more when I'm thinking about preaching about this, the week before, you know, just day in and day out, little conversations where I hope, man, I hope this goes to building up me, I hope they come away with a bigger view of me. It's despicable. It's, it's terrible. It's a way of rejecting God's glory. It's a way of, of, of wanting to steal. It's like a glory thief. It's like I have a, a glory vacuum inside of me that wants to steal. It wants it for myself. I recently read an interesting story about the actress Lauren Cohan. She's one of the stars in the, 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 the popular show The Walking Dead she was talking about this. I don't even think she's a believer, but she was speaking about why she decided to, to give up social media for a while. And she said, she said, she got sucked into the comparison game, endlessly swiping through other's successes, measuring her own professional wins and happiness against theirs. She said, it caused my ego to spin out of control and constantly thinking about myself, about my job security, about losing something, about not getting something, about what, she was supposed to, what I was supposed to achieve next. And she said this. She said, I just didn't want that inner monologue anymore. You feel that? You have that inner monologue? So she, um, she decided to get involved, to get out, try to get outside of herself, get involved with the inner city uh, program in Atlanta, after school program. But she's, what was most intriguing was her conclusion. She ends by saying this. It is just such a relief to remember that you are just a speck, and that there's a big picture, and to just get over yourself. See, God gives us this invitation to look, to get, to to look away from ourselves, to trace the greatness of any and every created good thing in our lives back to the source, the fountainhead of all good and all glory, and it's pretty counterintuitive in our, in our world to find relief from and, and happiness from thinking of ourselves as just a mere speck, is it not? To get outside of ourselves to the bigger picture. But doesn't it feel right? The majesty of God is definitely an unknown cure. <laughs> Uh, I I saw a a Nature Valley, um, or I uh, heard about this, Nature Valley granola commercial years ago. And it it, it told about a man sitting on this high up cliff overlooking a a beautiful, you know, mountain range. It's it's probably a picture uh, somewhat like this. Can you see that, you know, person sitting on the edge? Imagine yourself, now I have fear of heights, so maybe imagine yourself like six feet, you know, (laughs) inland <laughs> but I think the illustration still works I mean can you imagine just pick in picture yourself looking out among that and the the, the caption of the little granola pic, uh, uh, commercial thing said this it said never felt so insignificant never felt so alive now that's counterintuitive to everything you will read. The way to feel alive is, the, to, feel in, is to, to be insignificant. But when you picture yourself sitting before that, doesn't that make sense? Don't you feel that? Never felt so small, so much like a speck, and yet never felt so alive. We're created to trace the ray of every taste of creative beauty and goodness back to the source, to our all-sufficient big God, And we'll feel most alive when we, like the moon, don't steal his glory, but we we simply reflect it and we gaze back on the greatness and glory of God. So that's the bigness and self-sufficiency of God. Let's look lastly at the character of God um, in terms of who God is. The confession says a lot about God's character, obviously. The Bible says a lot about it. But here are some of the things like um, most loving, gracious, merciful, long-suffering, abundant in goodness and truth. It also says some things we don't talk about as much. It says God in his character is also he's just. He's terrible in his judgments. In his character, he hates all sin and by no means will clear the guilty. See, the Bible doesn't sugarcoat the result of having a heart that steals his glory to pursue, to make ourselves great at the expense of his greatness, it's, it's actually a confrontation to his glory and it's, it's, de- it's dangerous before a holy and just God. And if we think about this for a minute, which is healthy for us to do, it gives us a, a quite a different and deeper definition of sin. Than we often think about when we think about sin, Sometimes it's you know it's, it's speeding, it's going too fast, or it's it's when I was easily angered at my spouse or at my um, at a, you know at my children or something. If we look at the greatness of God and see ourselves in light of His holiness. Um, it invites us to see a different definition. John Piper wrote a definition that's like this, and I just wanna invite you as I read through some of this definition to just for a minute ponder some of this in your heart. What is sin? It's the glory of God not honored, the holiness of God not reverenced, the greatness of God not admired. It's the power of God not praised. It's the truth of God not sought. It's the wisdom of God not esteemed. It's the beauty of God, not treasured. It's the goodness of God, not savored. The faithfulness of God, not trusted. The commandments of God, not obeyed. The justice of God, not respected. The wrath of God, not feared. The grace of God, not cherished. The presence of God, not prized. The person of God, not loved. That is sin. What's your view of you being a sinner? In light of that definition. No wonder that God God says in His Word that we all sin and fall short of what? The glory of God. See the comparison, the standard was never our, our, our roommate or our spouse or a coworker in terms of being a sinner. No, it's a holy and just God who hates all sin and will be just in his terrible judgment each time we have failed to do those things. So I hope you feel with me how glad we should be that God is not just that, but he is also gracious and loving and merciful. And so that's the character of God. And how do those all merge together? How does that merge together? So let's look at that finally at this last point Not just who God is, but also what God does. What God does. The confession um, summarizes what God does, as you can imagine, um, in light of who God is. Simply says, God from all eternity did, by the most wise and holy counsel of his will, freely and unchangeably ordain whatever comes to pass. In other words... The God who's free, self-sufficient, under no obligation to do anything, what does He do? He does whatever He pleases to do, whenever He pleases to do it. And this is what Psalm 115 says. It says, our God is in the heavens. He does all that He pleases. Proverbs 16 says, we may throw the dice, but God determines where they fall. Ephesians 1 says, God works all things all things, every drop of mist from every bow of the ship that's out in the ocean and the west coast and the Gulf right now, its path is ordained by, by, by God. That's what He does. Will here, He does all things according to the counsel of His will. It means desire, His pleasure. It's the pleasure of God. And so the main question we should be asking in life is, in view of God's greatness, in view of his holiness and justice, and in light of our great sin, what is God pleased to do? What is his pleasure? I was thinking about this on Friday. I was like, oh, there's so many ways to come at this. But was, uh, some of the staff have friends out in Colorado and they were on the phone with them talking um, about the fires that came through. Y'all saw some of the fires that came through Colorado last week or in the last couple of weeks um, consuming everything in its path. And they were saying that these fires um, just came so so close to their workplace. I think we have a, a picture of it. There's the fire They took uh, the text that they texted them and they were coming. And then all of a sudden, if you read in the news, the weather changed. It started to, the wind stopped. It started to snow and the fire stopped a few hundred yards away from their, uh, from their building. It reminded me of this when I saw these pictures it reminded me of when the glory of the Lord ascended upon, descended upon Mount Sinai. Do you remember that? Remember what happened to the mountain there in Exodus? The whole thing caught on fire and it started to tremble like a devour, devouring fire. And God's people kept their distance away from it because God had said, look, if you come close to the glory of God, you're going to disintegrate, you're, you're going to die. But in the midst of that, God's glory descended upon the mountain in a fire, he he invites Moses as like a mediator to to ascend to meet with God. In the midst of all of this, Moses says, hey, I want to see your glory. Now, if you're standing in front of a mountain that's on fire and shaking and all of a sudden you say, I want to see the glory of God, I mean, what more is you expecting to see? And God says, okay, I mean, you can't see all of my glory. You would disintegrate. I'm going to put you in a cleft of a rock. I'm going to cover you up. And then you'll see the very backside. But what would God reveal? What do you think Moses was expected? Good night. What is it? What's it going to be? And do you remember what God said as he passed by and, the, and Moses saw the trail of his glory? He said this. The Lord, this is what God wanted Moses and us to know about his glory. The Lord God, compassionate and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in loving kindness and truth, who keeps loving kindness for thousands, who forgives your iniquity, who forgives your sin. God's climactic firework display of glory was not his devouring fire, It was his heart and display of grace. In other words, if you want a telescopic view into the heart of God of who he is and what he does, you have to zoom in and you have to look at what it costs God in light of his holiness and justice and our sin to love us like that. You have to zoom in and see such a big God become so small with a heart. It took pleasure in in going to a manger. You have to look into to the, the son of God who is the radiance of God's glory, Hebrews says. The exact representation of God's character walking around and he says, look, no one takes my life from me. I've got authority to take it up and to lay it down, but you know what I wanna do? Laser focus to a cross. To humble himself, to give up his glory as a mediator, to walk into the fire, of God's wrath that we deserved for us. It says it was his pleasure to do that. Isaiah 53 says it was God's pleasure to crush his son. That's what pleased God. What does God do in light of our great rejection of his glory? He does grace. (laughs) He does grace. He planned grace. For us, before the foundation of the world, before we'd done anything good or bad. Can you imagine that? Seeing every instant, every thought, motivation of your heart to steal his glory and make yourself great. He says, I'm planning grace for that. And when we start to grasp this, it really changes us. So just a few implications that come to mind as we prepare to leave. It should affect... I would imagine some of us here, um, I've known people who've grown up in church and have been in church their whole lives. And I, and I would say, it's safe to say that um, they know, you've known a lot about God, but you've never known God personally. You've never ascended the mountain to taste and see a God like that. You know about God's grace, but you've never drunk of it. And I would just say, as we close in prayer, that my prayer is that you would pause and say, that is the type of God I want to know personally. I want a relationship with that kind of God. And I encourage you to make this the day that you, you don't wait to stand before him and his terrible judgments of our sin. And you say, I want Jesus to accept that for me. For us who have done that, know God personally, but just struggle with the mundane and lacking wonder in our lives, the majesty of God being an unknown cure for some of the struggles in our marriage or other things. I, I, this, isn't that a, 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 um, an encouragement for us to just do something different than just try to check off a box in our daily reading? Psalm, um, Psalm 119 says this. It says, and I just encourage, when you go to your Bible time, you know, this week, make this a prayer. Open the eyes of my heart as I read your word that I may behold wonderful, wondrous things in your law. Or Psalm 90. I don't wanna just read your word today. I want your word to satisfy me this morning with your unfailing love. I don't wanna just know about it. I wanna drink deeply of it. It should affect how we view ourselves. There's something and when we're filled with the glory of God, we just, we just don't need the approval of man as much. And if you're like me and that's one of your struggles is approval of man, my, um, my exhortation to myself and to you is to drink deeply of the, of the, of the, of the, of, of the wondrous majesty of God more frequently. When, when, the, when the fear of God goes up, when God is big, man is small. It should affect, lastly, is how we endure suffering. Um, I know a lot of us have suffered this year, and it just makes me say, what is, you know, makes me ask the question, in light of having such a big God, how, how does it affect our view of su- how we go through hard times? It made me think of a, a really good friend I had in, um, in college. His name is Brad Leith. And um, Brad really impacted me when I was young in my faith. And about four years ago, he, he, uh, he got brain cancer got diagnosed with brain cancer and he um he passed away about three weeks ago and um what's amazing is his view he had brad had a a really big view of god and i want you to watch about a minute clip of his church made a video of him and it's a five minute clip but i want to show you one minute and look for how his big view of god affected how he suffered (laughs) Yes. Okay. <laughs> All right, ready. All right. Okay, so I'm Brad Leith, and uh, we've been married for 17 years. I'm Cody Leith, and we have four kids Gunner, Lucy, Brody, and Shepard, ages 11 through 4. I was fortunate enough when I came to Christ that I was discipled. I was mentored and discipled for several years. And I don't believe if, if I had not had that foundation, I wouldn't be prepared for this moment. You know, we're praying for healing. There's no doubt in my mind God can heal, heal us. Um, there, there's also something that's very clear in my mind, is I believe God is so, so big, He could uh, not heal it and use it for His glory. And so if that is His plan, that's what we want. One of our close friends that we went to college with had the idea I believe that God a is in so time big afternoon, use my cancer 3, for his, his birthday If that is, is his plan, March 25th, okay. if that is the pleasure of God, that is what I want. You know, people just don't talk like that unless you have a big view of God and of eternity. Brad and his wife hosted a reunion about two years ago and I ended up not being able to go and a friend uh, a good friend of mine came, uh, went there and he came back saying some of the things that Brad had said. And here Brad is on the, on the verge of entering into glory, uh, right on the cliff of it. And, 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 and with this big view of God, uh, he said this. He said, the most important thing in life is that there is nothing that we have to do to have God's favor and love and to live with God forever. Christ accomplished everything. We get it for free. Such a big view of God, such a big God. What does He do? Grace, to Him be all the glory. Let's pray. Gracious Heavenly Father, I do uh, just pray that those who have not experienced relationship with you who have not come to taste of this grace that's found in sending your son Jesus for them. I pray even right now that they would, they would simply believe it and receive it. For the joy set before you, you went to the cross. For the pleasure before you, you laid your life down for us. So God, let us all though leave here with a desire in the midst of the mundane to taste and see your good and glorious and big God. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to our podcast. If you would like more information or would like to help support the local body of Seven Rivers, please visit our website at sevenrivers.org.